Audio Slave Podcast, episode one two zero one twenty. I am Anthony. I'm here with Nate, and just no, no, not just Nate. Tony too. Yep. Oh, I'm here. Tony's yep. here. I'm Tony. I'm here. I'm here all tonight. Th- all three. <laughs> so what's going on, guys? Are we are we excited to pod again, or let's? How's the energy level tonight? <laughs> I'm shrugging my shoulders. The the energy level is high. The energy level is always high when we're discussing nerdery. I'm I'm just uh, we're all on the East Coast, which is kind of fun. Nate Nate um, trekked his way back east, and uh, we're still recording in the middle of the night because that's what we do. <laughs> we're just kind of <laughs> creatures of habit. But yeah, here we are recording, doing our thing as we always do, in, in three separate rooms still. But we'll be together soon enough. Yeah. So you came home and you're not even in the same room. What's going on? I know we're still socially distancing for whatever reason. It is what it is. But um, you know, quarantining. I guess I was traveling. Bro, I had uh, COVID. Yeah, <laughs> right. I had COVID. Had COVID. Got the yeah super enzymes. Um, <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah, electrolytes. You drank Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, man, it's gonna Wait, be it's, bad. It's, it's, hold on, is Spotify gonna flag that because we talked about COVID? No, oh, they, they, they might. <laughs> We're not saying we anything. Uh, we're not telling anybody how to handle it. We, we, right. We're just saying that we might have had it. Hey, if we get the banner, that makes us like very official because anyone that's, <laughs> that's an official podcast has that kind of like disclaimer, you know. So that is true. Not a bad thing. But um, yeah, man, made the trek. I'm uh, one of those st- statistics that is uh, spending a an arm and a leg to fly across country and rent a car for quadruple what it was a year two years ago. So. This is definitely an expensive trip, but well worth it. And it's good to be on the East Coast geeking out. Like you said, it's late, but um, that's how we do it. It's actually nice, though, to be honest, because when we do it uh, when I'm on the West Coast, it's prime time. It's like 6.30 p.m. And, uh, you know, I'm still kind of like in the middle of like 12 different things. And I'm like, whatever, let's, get, let's nerd out. So it's kind of nice to be on your time and uh, everything's closed down and you can kind of hone in some real nerdery. Tell yeah, I mean Maine. Maine's been asleep now for two hours, so <laughs> it's it's nice for you to be able to uh, to join in the the evening festivities as Tuan and I typically do. And the listeners can't see it, but Nate is his background. He's like at the start of a horror movie. It's like in a cabin <laughs> in the woods or something. Yeah, yeah, the last house on the left. <laughs> I actually thought he was outside, and, and I didn't, I didn't hear any animals outside and in, in the background, or maybe they're there. I don't know. Just being quiet, getting ready to sneak up on him. <laughs> yeah, this, I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a, a cabin. Uh, it's a very special cabin. Uh, in these walls contains many bins. So Tuan and Anthony are actually holding. Tuan and two- Anthony? No. <laughs> Tone and Anthony. <laughs> I got. Hang on. Pause. And I'm not cutting this because this is uh, this is tough for you. <laughs> and I I gotta give you credit, Nate. The fact that you're able to not do that over 120 episodes like i think that's only the second time that's ever happened so Damn. kudos to you for being good at that and guests right guests don't even do it i know yeah so these walls contain uh inventory of different nerdery through the years but tone tone and uh, tuan are both holding a bin in uh their storage but i actually have stuff in storage here in this cabin in the middle of nowhere and it's good so uh i can get to kind of rifle through that stuff and and geek out you know one thing though when you said like Maine is asleep right now. Like, I had one complaint before I jumped on, which is I ran to the store really quick and I could not find any any good beer at all. So I actually grabbed a six pack of PBR, which is a disgrace because Maine's got such amazing craft beer. <laughs> Man, you are out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you're in the yeah, middle dude, of nowhere. There was nothing. Yeah. It was like this or but. I'm like, ah, I guess I'll do PBR. He's under a rock, Tuan. He's under a rock. <laughs> you can't you can't leave your house without seeing an Allagash bottle somewhere. You know. What I mean? <laughs> are you on an island? Where? <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm on the border of Canada. I should have just gone to Canada. Yeah, right. They have decent <laughs> beer there too, though. Get get a couple Molson Triple X's, guy. <laughs> so, Nate, while you're home, are you checking out some music, or are you just gonna do the woodsy stuff? Well, I mean, so I, you know, had a little bit of a trek to get here. So, flew into JFK, flew into New York City. Um, used to live in New York back in the day, '07 era, and. Um, it was sweet. Got to see some old old stomping grounds, checked out some record stores that I used to hit up back in the day. A few actually went under, so it was sad to see. I know we've talked about that on here before, like venues and record stores going under, whether it was pandemic-related or just the change in the tides for the music industry. But there was one that's still around, so check our socials on that one. It's called Generation Records. 
one of my favorite spots in Greenwich Village. You know, that's the spot that you find a t-shirt from a band that you would have to pay an arm and a leg on eBay for, but there it's like 15 bucks kind of thing. Or like a nice import poster or vinyl record that's dusty but worth, you know, worth a lot of money, but for whatever reason it's not on Discogs. That's the spot. So I'm I'm stoked to check those things out. And then, yeah, in Maine, yeah, we, I'm going to check out the Michael Franti show in randomly in Sydney, Maine. <laughs> I know, nice. Sydney, Maine's a random spot for that show. It's uh, so random. If, if you're familiar at all with our state, it's like, what, half an hour, 20 minutes north of Augusta, which is our capital. Yep. And the fact that he, I mean, he plays Portland when he comes, typically, Franti, but to be up at that place. And, and explain that show, Nate. It's kind of funky, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. I checked out the venue. It looks like the venue got some kind of influx of cash to to bring in national acts, which is kind of cool, inspiring actually that you can, they can pull it off. But yeah, going going with some friends, and uh, it's going to be a trek to get there and a trek to get back. But you know, I, I needed to see at least one show in Maine, so that's that's the one. Or for now, unless there's something else you guys can think of. Yeah, we'll we'll put our heads together. Hey, Maine gets the we do get the shows. You know, you, as we say, we get Thompson's Point down here, down Southern Maine, up in Bangor, they get shows. I mean, Foo Fighters are going to play there, Day to Remember. They get every country act known to man. I think Luke Combs is going to be there. Yep. We get them, but you still got to travel. I mean, some of those shows up north, I'm closer to Boston. Yeah, you know? we are. We're closer to Boston. And we're always like, oh, man, Boston, I can't get down there. We're like, oh, Bangor, I guess I'll go. All right. <laughs> and there's a casino? <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of the, that's part the, of the lore. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I was bummed. Like the the days that I'm here, Portland, for whatever reason, has some kind of weird lapse. Twan, you just saw Bon Iver at the at Thompson's Point. I would have loved to have been there, but you know, there's really nothing in the duration that I'm here, which kind of sucks. So I don't know what Lauren, what's up with that? You know, I know, right? We need to get a little bit more stuff kicking around here. Uh, this early in the summer, I'm kind of surprised that it's a, it's it's a lull, and it's when just happened to coincide with when you were home, which is kind of a bummer. But getting back to uh, Generation Records, you sent that video, Nate, and I was I almost had you just go through every shirt and tell me what they were, so you could buy me a couple of them before you came up. But I, that would have taken a while because if there was I mean hundreds of shirts on the wall, right? Oh my god, dude! It's like. I didn't have enough time. Like I was kind of in a rush actually, because we were meeting up with a, a family member for dinner. So I, was, I ran in there, like told my wife, like I have to go in here like really quick just to like scope it out really quick. <laughs> Which a record store like that's just not realistic. So it's almost like a bluff. Uh, you're going and hey, I'll be a, a second, twenty yeah, minutes. Yeah, I'll be like two minutes. I'll, I swear <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be like two minutes. <laughs> it's like when there's two minutes left in the football game. Like yeah, two right. Yeah, I yeah. use the male version, or maybe you know, male or female. But for us, at least us three, like it's the our version of like going clothes shopping. It's like, hey, I'm just gonna be a minute, you know. Yeah. Trying not to close, but actually looking through like every single record every as fast as possible. Record. Every record, every single one, every T-shirt, every poster. Like we just want to look through all of them because you might find that gem that you can't find anywhere. I mean, you can always find a Ramones T-shirt, you know, right? But this place, like, you know, speaking of quicksand, we had a. Uh, they had quicksand t-shirts there. It's like, what? Awesome. I mean, it's a New York band, I guess. Man. It makes sense. But yeah, speaking of Sergio, like who we had on, like they had quicksand t-shirts. Like that's just, you don't find that anywhere unless you go on eBay or. I didn't know when you first sent the, that video, I didn't know that was Generation Records because I've heard about that. You know, it's oh, really? pretty well known. Uh, and I'm dissecting the walls and stuff. And I mean, that place is this podcast. You had. Yeah. A Cornell poster next to a fucking war zone poster. It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, there's something there for everyone. I love when we find places like that, though, because it is. It's, it's like the embodiment of what we've tried to do here, you know, in podcast form. Like, you're going to find the Cornell poster next to, you know, something from a different genre that just fits. And we're like, we love it all. So, yeah, well, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's buy that t shirt and buy that record right now. Yep, and there's like promotional posters on the wall, and there's like show posters on the wall from shows that are like five years old, and they're still like they just didn't take it down yet, <laughs> you know. And everything's super dusty. That's actually so. That's why you find those records in there that you know are worth a lot of money because I don't know what it is, but it's very old school to the fact that they don't even have any kind of system. It's just they got a record. Let's call it a, an original. Soundgarden, super unknown LP, just kind of in the mix. And you're like, damn, this thing's worth a fortune. And I just got it for like 30 bucks. We love those places, man. Yeah, there's not enough of them 
up here, up in Maine. I mean, very uh, nothing really like that. There's a couple places downtown, but it's not oh, like older stuff like that. It's more, it's almost like a distro that some guy just put together, you know? Right, yeah. That's a good point. I tried to dissect it actually when I was in there because I'm like, how did this place survive, you know, the gentrification of the industry, but also the pandemic? Like, how do you survive? And I th think it's a, a result of the location. Like New York City is, you know, it is what it is, but it's also a lot of small business that thrives on, you know, their niche. And that's a small little record store that like people are traveling to grab that one thing and bounce. And so they're still making rent, you know, and maybe they're probably grandfathered in with rent too so like why why leave like at least we can break even and maybe also because they're not on discogs i don't think i could be wrong there that people know it's almost like a treasure hunt like hey i'm gonna travel from europe to fly to this record store because i might find something because they're just too lazy to like have a system to to have it all categorized you know yeah well q q mark weinstein we had on what episode seven talking about in yep. one aisle you got this and one aisle you got that and you're just in the middle of it and it's the best so for any record collector, uh, you know, there's so many treats out there in the bins. You know, it's a nonstop treasure hunt when you're in our store. There's like, you know, a half a million records there. You could go in any direction and see, you know, who knows what. And that kind of serendipity of like, just turn to the left, turn to the right. Like, what are you going to see? You know, there's really nothing like it online. Yeah, we love that shit. And uh, I'm sure we'll find more and we'll post more as soon as we, uh, you know, we get anytime that Nate just happens to, you know, walk by one in Southern California that he's never been to before. It's we get another video on the socials page, which is fun for us. All right. So main segment tonight. And uh, we've we've talked about a bunch of stuff on here. And the name of our podcast is after a supergroup, Right. Audio slave equals audio slave, and the fact that we we hit 120 episodes before we really even talked a ton about supergroups is kind of wild to me. But here we are, finally, on episode 120, gonna fill you up with a little supergroup talk, a little nerdery surrounding bands that uh, are made up of other band members, right? So stuff that we nerd out about all the time. We hear about this new group coming together that is, you know, members of Rage Against the Machine and uh, Soundgarden or Caius and Foo Fighters and whatever. We get all that and we want to hear what they're going to turn into, what they're going to sound like sonically, and how we're going to feel about the music. And it's it's another way for us to nerd out. And uh, Supergroups have a, a long been a thing. They've been around for, geez, probably 60 plus years now at this point if you look back. But yeah, we have never talked about them. So here we are. We're going to do it tonight. The main segment is Supergroups. So you, you just said something that made me think. You just said when we hear about, you know, a super group consists of this member and that member. And it made me think, in that moment when you first hear about it, are you excited? Or are you like, oh, man, they're going to ruin a good thing? Where are you guys at in that spectrum? Does man. it depend on, the, depend on the mix? It definitely depends on the mix. I think, like... Yeah, it depends. There's so many variables. Like if it's like some hippie jam band and, you know, like Oysterhead with members of Primus and Fish, like, cool, you know, do more shit, whatever. But, you know, speaking of the uh, origins of our name, Audio Slave, when Audio Slave first came out, I was super bummed. I was like, oh, really? Like Rage and like Soundgarden. I loved both so much, but I was like, I was like offended. I was like, why would you do this? Because Zach is such like a prolific artist like it just seemed like a slap in the face to the fan really i mean to me at least and that, and that changed over time but it took a long it took a long time i think it took so like audio slaves debut came out in uh 2002 i don't think i gave it any kind of attention until 2004 2005 like i was a late bloomer so it, it definitely depends i think well because there's also the angle that it it takes away from like takes away time from the original projects. Yeah, That's right. the angle you're thinking about. I never thought it. I never even thought about that. Really, an audio slave album means less chance for Soundgarden material or Rage. But they I mean they had kind of broken up. Yeah. Uh, when I first heard and just to kind of belabor the audio slave point, heard that that was going to happen. I was bummed too. And then I heard that kind of opening thump 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 of Cochise, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Like. That didn't take long. This sounds fucking badass, and it's going to be Cornell-fronted. I'm, I'm down. I'm down to see where this is going to take me, and, I, and then I loved that record. So do I want the other two bands to still exist? Obviously, but uh, at, at the same time, we got 
cool stuff from those guys as a collective, which we may never have gotten otherwise. Yeah, you're right. It is situational. It does depend on where those other acts are. Because Rage was, they were done. Where was Soundgarden at? They were kind of on hiatus. Exactly. Yeah, Soundgarden was done. They were done. Yeah. So I could see I could see both sides of it where you're like, all right, well, this reduces any chance of those old bands coming back. But on the same token, we get some new stuff in some form from the musicians that we like. Right. Yeah, that and it keeps everyone's chops up, right? Like if you're not doing anything, you could just kind of fade away into obscurity. So Cornell had some substance abuse issues and the Rage guys were, I mean, on top of their game with their last record. I think... The interviews that I read with Audio Slave, they were like, "Yeah, Zach left," and like we were just like writing like nonstop, like we were ready to continue going. In fact, when we brought Cornell into the mix, we almost continued with Rage Against the Machine as a name, and we were like, we thought about it and realized, you know, maybe we should, you know, do a different band name. I don't think they thought of it as a supergroup. They literally thought it Cornell originally as a replacement to Zach, which is really interesting because not even remotely close, obviously. Uh, although his range is. He could probably pull it off in a weird way. I don't think he could do the, the verses. Yeah, it'd be justice. different. Rage Against the Garden. That... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sound Machine. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> sound Machine actually might work. Well, Miami Sound Machine's already a thing, so. <laughs> to your point, though, like, you know, it's, is it going to take away, it, does it take away the chances of the, these bands getting back together? All those things considered, you know, they have to continue making music for them to stay relevant. So the guys in Rage continued going. Uh, Chris Cornell came kind of at a, out of the blue. I mean, he was in in hiding for the most part from 98, I think, is when Soundgarden broke up, and then Rage 2000. So, you know, that you call that four years if, if uh, Audio Slave's first album came out in 2002 and he, just, he, and he just resurfaced and his voice is pinnacle on that record. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, so... Yeah, Soundgarden's a great, or sorry, Patio Slave's a great way to kind of sh- kick off this conversation. You say Patio Slave or Audio Slave? Both. They're both a great <laughs> way. Patio Slave <laughs> kicking off the Audio Slave and, uh, <laughs> and Supergroup conversation. Go ahead, Tuan. No, I was just dialing back to the name of this podcast. When I've had people in conversation that it's come up, they say, oh, is it named after Audio Slave? And, and I, it, it, it is and it isn't. You know what right, I mean? Right. We we don't want to yep. be the podcast that people think is just an audio slave podcast, right? <laughs> but when you dig into it, you know, are we a super group? Eh, maybe. I think we are of fans. I think of if fans. you if you think about where we all have come from and the music that we listened to growing up, we have our intersections. But we have our. I went this way and listened to hip hop, and I went this way and listened to metal and hardcore, and I went this way and listened to you know jammy or pearl jam or whatever, and we all come back to the middle. And I think that's why I think it's why it works. And I think we said that on episode one, didn't we? We did. Yeah. yeah. So go actually. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Go back. <laughs> A demo tape. Listen to the demo tape. Yeah, it's not that bad. See the progression. It's not that bad. Yeah. Play the old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. In real time, drink. <laughs> So yeah, that's a good that's a good way to lead us off to one. That's a good question. Like, how do you feel about it when you hear about it? And you're right; it really does depend uh, on who is going to who's coming together as the band that is now going to be the supergroup. And are they taking away from something you w- would rather hear? And obviously, until you get the music, you don't know. But once they become established, you might know a little more, and maybe you're okay with getting something from the supergroup. Knowing that the ba- the other bands on the back burner, it's not going away. Yeah, and I think it's also proof that maybe it's conducive for the bands to get back together because both Rage and Soundgarden got back together. This is turning into like a Audio Slave deep dive. <laughs> right. But um, if it hadn't hadn't been for Audio Slave, I wonder, you know, if those bands would have gotten back together in the first place. Was Zach like watching from the side stage, like, oh shit, these guys like they still kill it, and Chris, you know, Cornell's rhythm section being like, oh shit, like he can still hit these notes like hopefully we can get Soundgarden back together at some point because he's I mean those records those records are are solid his his writing on those records are just amazing so I think one of our questions that we were kind of bringing to the table was you know is it a good idea or a bad idea to do it to uh put up a super group and I think for this band in particular I think it was a good idea because it proved that you can stay relevant but you have to do some kind of sport you can't just like 
do nothing and hope to come back. You know, there's those rare occasions. I think Zach Taylor Roca being one of those that somehow he can come back into the mix and just nail it. But the guy's uh, a rare instance of that occasion. Yeah, I think that question I'm going to answer from the band's perspective and I th- from the musician's per- perspective. And I think from their perspective, it's, it is a good idea. Like, what else are they going to do? If their old band is done, it's either you go back to the band you are in right. or you link up with some of the best musicians in the world. And at that point, I don't think you owe fans anything. You don't yeah. owe fans a damn thing. So this is us. We're going to jam out we'll probably still pull numbers live. So it's going to, we know it's going to be fun, but at that point, I feel like the fans along the on for the ride and not vice versa at that point. Yeah. Fuck the fans. <laughs> We're doing what we want there. I mean, there's, there's an element of that for sure. But like at the same, and it, I think what I come back to is, are they people who they're friends with other musicians and they're like, I want to just play music with my other friends. And maybe they went on tour with that one point. Or maybe they've always just wanted to make music with them because they like the way so-and-so plays drums. Or the bassist is, you know, one of the best in the world. Or et cetera, et cetera. And they want to just put together ideas that they don't maybe don't think fit with the band that they're in currently, too. So there could be that. So the flip side of Audio Slave would be Prophets of Rage, right? You're not letting so, us go, man. This is the the rage <laughs> and uh, tentacles episode. Yeah. I like it. It's too it's it's too easy because you, you just said it, Tony. It kind of just popped in my head. So, who did they get to replace Zach on that project? It was Chuck D from Public Enemy and Be Real from Cypress Hill, which they've toured with extensively and also covered both of their songs. So, I think it was almost like, hey, like we're not going to stop. We definitely want to play our songs. Zach's not down. He left the band twice. So, you know, Zach is so hard to replace if we're going to play Rage songs. I guess we're going to have to get to two different vocalists and somehow continue our legacy and not fail as a live band. If Zach wants to come back a, a third time, we can at least like know that we're tight live. Did Prophets of Rage play Rage Against the Machine songs live? Oh, yeah. Oh, they did. And they, I'm, I'm sure they played How I Could Just Kill a Man, which Rage stole from yeah. Cypress Hill on Renegades. <laughs> All right, Tuan, take us away. Take us away from the Audio Slave Rage Against the Machine World. What else are you <laughs> thinking about? What what other bands kind of come to mind for you here? All right, so when we when we kind of thought of this episode, I naturally thought of a bunch of supergroups, and I was just kind of racking my brain. I'm like, well, who who could be the biggest supergroup? And I don't know if this is the biggest, but it's one of them, and it's a band that's never regarded ever hmm. as a supergroup. Uh, it's a band we talk about fair amount on this podcast. We've done a full fucking episode on their catalog, a house band, but never we've never once mentioned them as a super group, but they are, without a doubt. Ooh. I don't know who I don't know who you're talking about. Foo Fighters? The Foo Fighters. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yep. So you get Dave, Scream and Nirvana, Pat Smear. Founding member, uh, the Germs, and then Nirvana first stint, Mendel with Sunny Day. William Goldsmith, original member, was with Sunny Day. Taylor came in from Alanis, uh, and then Shiflet from Me First, and No Use yep. for a Name later. But man, like, it's funny how that storyline got lost in the this is Dave from Nirvana's new band. You're right, man. My mind is a little blown, but I, I mean, I knew all of this, but I, you're right. We just don't regard them as a supergroup. It's funny. I just, I, it was just doing a little research and thinking about it. And I was like, shit, that, I don't know. Don't hold me to them being the biggest ever, but I'll, I'll think about it and I'll, we'll check in next week on that. But, uh, I think, I think you might be right. At least, you know, of the last 30 years, I know, uh, the, uh, the traveling Wilburys are obviously at were a big supergroup. It's Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, George Harrison, the Beatles, Jeff Lynne, and Bob Dylan, and that's a. I mean, all those names are huge, but they were all kind of solo-y acts. Not everybody, but there's a decent amount of them that were doing their own thing, and then they came together to form that band. So that's a little different circumstance, but I definitely think of the last thirty years, easily. Yeah, how can you not say the Foo Fighters is the biggest one? That they really are. They're coming from all over the place. Yeah, they escaped the fucking supergroup 
label. Yep. But you're right. Traveling will is it Wilberries? Yeah. Yep. Name brand, absolutely biggest super group. Mm. The dudes you just named, hundred percent. And I think the only reason they got Foo Fighters got away with that is because Dave wrote that first record, right, as almost a solo record. Right. So be, because the origin started as a solo band, without it being titled Dave Grohl and and the Heartbreakers or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> right. you know. Hey, he might do that at some point. I know now, especially. That that's probably why it didn't fall in that bucket, which is really, yeah, it is quite interesting because otherwise they wouldn't be playing clubs. They would have just probably, he would have transferred from playing arenas with Nirvana and, and played arenas with Foo Fighters. But instead he started from scratch, which is kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, heartwarming to know that, you know, he was ready to start all over and, and with a new band. But like you said, like it was a super group, but the origins of that super group are not like arena bands, like me first in the gimme gimme's like, come on, like. It's pretty cool in that regard. It is a good, it is a good point though, because if it, if they did, well, I don't know. I was gonna say if they did label it as a super group, I, I you're right. I think they would have started on second base instead of first base. Yeah, yeah. Although they he, they still kind of did start on third base, third base. Yeah. Well, once people knew it was Dave Grohl, it's like, all right, I want to pay attention to this, and uh, you know, the songs are good too, which. You know, when that and he, helps. And he can sing? Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. He just <laughs> the guy has a has an ear for all of this? No way. All right, cool. All right, I'm into that. I know, it's crazy. You know, one thing I was thinking about the term supergroup, up until we researched for this uh, episode, I thought it was a relatively new term until I did the research and like you said, tone that originated, you know, back in the 1960s. It's kind of an old thing, like, that's been around for a long time, from, like, Cream to, like you said, the Traveling Wilburys, you know, going forward. But for our kind of come up, you know, it was Audio Slave. It was Velvet Revolver, bands like this, where it was, yep. you know, bands that we kind of knew. And what for whatever reason, those bands dissipated or got kicked out and started new things. So it seemed like a marketing play for our era just because it was like oh okay like you got kicked out of the band like obviously you're gonna you're gonna have to do something or bands you know disbanded or whatever so you got to do something and keep your chops up but i wonder like dave had started foo fighters as a solo project and then recruited you know different members to come into the mix but you know i'm thinking of bands like dream car which is like danny havoc of afi and then you have the rhythm section of no doubt same thing though no doubt it's a huge band afi is relatively big i don't think they ever played like arenas but they barely got off the ground. I'm pretty sure they did like one leg and disbanded, you know? So hmm. it's really like launching a brand, like just because you have a good product doesn't mean you're going to just have instant success. Was Dream Car, like sound-wise, was different than both of those, the ingredients, different than AFI than and No Doubt? Wasn't it kind of uh, like dancey almost? I yeah, like new, new Wave. Yeah. Which AFI kind of steered into that direction at one point, but yeah. They did. Yeah, so that like makes me think of in all these instances why. And in that in that <laughs> yeah. case, it kind of, it makes sense. It's something different. It's something sonically very different than what they're used to. Those two bands are, you know, deep into their careers, if not now then when, you know, I I get that. And I, you know, with with Foo Fighters, it made sense. You know, some of those Nirvana was done, you know? Yep. Sunny Day, uh, they were still going, but... Yeah, they had to, like, pry Nate, Nate from them, didn't they? Pretty much. I don't know. I'd have to deep dive into that. I think if you... the We've mentioned the, the Foo Fighters documentary from 2011, I think, uh, that mentions that he he was kind of like all right fine i guess i'll i guess i'll join up with you guys <laughs> like stick around <laughs> which obviously was the right move and sunny days back together now right i mean they're they're doing doing shows so yeah is is he with them i don't know it's a good question my guess would be yes i'd have to fact check it but yeah with all that's gone on with the foo fighters camp i mean if you want to keep playing music it right. doesn't hurt to go back with your old boys and and figure that out for a little bit another band that I think on a smaller scale, similar to the Foo Fighters though, but on a smaller scale, doesn't get the super group moniker put on them is Queens of the Stone Age. Oh yeah. True. Yep. You got Hame from Caius, you got uh Lanigan from all kinds of different things. You had Dave Grohl for a hot minute. Like they're they're all over the map. And then other other people coming and going from different bands into into Queens of the Stone Age. So 
that happened, you know, around late 90s, 98 or so, and kind of blew up with Songs for the Deaf with Grohl drumming on it, and that being like the probably the most commercially successful aspect of that band, but they're, they're highly regarded as a, you know, Stoner Rock desert band that, you know, Nate and I definitely ride for, and they they don't really get lumped into the supergroup category, but they're definitely one. Now, why do you think that is? I I think it's because they never, they never pitched that one. Mm-hmm. Two, when they came out, how well known were the previous bands? You know what I mean? That's might be part of it. I think they certainly gained in notoriety after. But why do you guys think? I'm just curious. In in general, why these acts never get that label? I think for Queens of the Stone Age, it's similar to the Foo Fighters, whereas. Josh was essentially writing, I think, a majority of the music for that first record and recruited some ex-Kaius members to jump on board, at least as touring members, maybe even some writing credits on that first album. But I think it's the same origin story of the Foo Fighters, which is like, hey, like this band member, Josh Homme, is going to do his own project and it's going to be called Queens of the Stone Age instead of Josh Homme and, you know. The Heartbreakers. I'm just going to keep using the, that. The Desert <laughs> Riders. <laughs> yeah. This is Pontius Slave and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Like, I think they didn't lean into it uh, using the Queens of the Stone Age example. But other bands, I think, do. They're like, hey, check out this new supergroup that we just formed. Like, they, they totally, of, yeah. yeah, they totally grab that moniker because they want to bring in fans of those other bands, maybe it's two, three, four bands, depending on how many people are coming from where. And now you've got, you know, maybe some built-in fan bases that are into checking out this new entity. So I, I think it definitely happens for some of those bands, especially as they're starting out. Once you're established, it's a different story. But if you're starting out, you're a new band, new supergroup in quotes, and you're trying to get people to pay attention to what you're doing because maybe it's good, maybe it's not, whatever, but you're pulling people in, you're grabbing from those other fan bases that you've already kind of established. Totally. And and if there's a label involved, oh my God, labels oh, fucking yeah. love, love that. that. I mean, look at that Institute record. They, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the words Gavin Rosdale were bigger than Institute. And then like, I have a radio copy of Rival Schools, their album, United mm-hmm. by Fate. And half of the insert is just about the history, you know, about yeah. Walter and Sammy and that story. And the funny thing is, is I don't think anyone, like a, a typical major label fan would even know about that. It's like they missed the mark, but yeah, labels love that to play the, or fans are they or, even, are they even reading those liner notes? I mean, that's a, that's an us thing. That's yeah. true. Yeah. They don't, <laughs> they don't give two fucks about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think what we're getting at here is there's a conscious decision to market the album or band as a supergroup or not. And a lot of it has influence from the label, but also the band, because as a band member and members, you know, you have to make that conscious decision. Like, hey, do we want to, you know, bring in our legacy fans into this? They're going to find us anyway, probably. Do we really want to market it that way? Or do we want to start clean slate and not have any of the maybe positive neg- negative connotation to the band that broke up and have haters, you know? I mean, you think right. about, like, D- Damage Plan, uh, ex-Pantera, like, you know, that's how Dime died, right? Because Pantera broke up, and had it not been marketed as... I don't even know if that was marketed as a supergroup, but definitely, like, ex-Pantera marketed band was the reason why we lost Dimebag Daryl. So there's a lot of conscious decision-making, like, hey, like, we should just... Everyone already knows who we are. We don't have to regurgitate the fact that we're from this band that everyone knows. We should just start a whole new thing, which I think is an artistic choice. Like, hey, like this is my new thing, and yeah, you liked my old thing. This is my new thing. Like, you already know who I am. Like, yeah. why do I have to plaster it everywhere too? You know. I think you're right for some of the bigger names. Like, you're gonna get that with Dave Grohl. Are you gonna get that with? Even Mark Lanigan at the time, maybe not. Maybe yeah. yes, or or somebody even smaller that you don't know the name because they played bass in a band that you love the band, but you didn't know the bassist name because you're not True. you're not yeah. a nerd like that that you're gonna find out all those people's names. So it depends. Yeah, and and I think you're right. There could be some backlash. There could be some 
man, I don't want to listen to this new project because I love that other project so much. I don't want it to this to taint that for me. So that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. What do you guys think of? So you have the we've discussed the Foo Fighters, we've discussed Audio Slave. These are projects coming from the ashes of other projects. But then there's a super group, and I'm going to give an example of this. That's just a fun fucking super group that you know the guys just wanted to switch things up. They'd been in their bands for 20, 10 years before this. The damned things. I thought you were going to say, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the, oh, actually, yeah, on the heels of Damage Plan, I could have said, hell yeah. I know. <laughs> but uh, the damned things. You get Andy and uh, Joe from Fall Out Boy and drums and guitar. You get Scott Ian of Anthrax on rhythm guitar. You get Keith Buckley, Every Time I Die, in vocals. And I think, who was it? Uh, Dan from Alc Trio on bass. Yeah. And I think the yep. original bassist was Rob from Anthrax. So you got all these dudes ranging from pop punk to, you know, metalcore to thrash, just kind of making this kick-ass, like, Every Time I Die light rock record. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why not, you know? Yeah, they're just having fun. I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier, but I just want to play music with my friends. Maybe maybe they're people that we've toured with. Maybe they're people that we just happen to know because we were in similar circles in the industry. And let's make a let's make a record that isn't what we were going to make with our bands, but we want to make it still. Like this still needs to be in the world. Let's birth this thing that, that should be should be out there still. So I think that's those types of supergroups fucking all in, man. I love that shit. That, that's that's a blast because you you just get extra. It's like you go up and you order a small soda or a small whatever, and you end up getting a large by accident. You just get extra. It's awesome. It's perfect. <laughs> nice. Oh, analogy king. Fuck, dude, that was great. <laughs> Supersize me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> supersize me. You know what's cool about that is they opened for some band. I can't remember who it was. I want to say, I can't remember, but it was at the State Theater in Portland, Maine. And the coolest part was, you know, Fall Out Boy was huge. Anthrax obviously is huge legacy wise. And because they were the opener, they were just hanging out. They were just like in the crowd and they were just like at the you know, merch booth just chilling. I'm like, dude, you guys are playing fucking, you know, sheds. And Anthrax has been around forever, and you guys are just Scott Ian's just literally at the bar, just chilling, you know. So you get like kind of like that out of pocket experience where it's like, hey, I'm not with my main gig, so I'm just going to be chilling whenever. If you guys want to hang out, it's almost like you get like this second chance. You get this uh, out of body experience as the band member, but for the fan, just easy access. And uh, I thought that was kind of cool. And for them also, yep. for especially the Fall Out Boy guys, for them to almost prove like, hey, we. These are like these guys are truly are you know um, influence, and we get to like make music with these guys now. So it really shows like the blueprint of maybe Fall Out Boy or their you know their riffs. Like hey, like I'm actually writing music with these guys because this is who I grew up with. You know, it really shows like a full circle moment. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that gets back to really what you were saying, Tone, which is I uh, just want to make make music yeah. with my friends. Mm -hmm. You know, music is our niche. <laughs> I want to make. <laughs> make music with our friends exactly okay. it makes me wonder like how for like take the damn things how'd that even come about you know what i mean it was it just on, on tour you know their buddies they just texted like hey let's jam out but yeah i mean the fallout boys have roots in in metal before in hardcore before fallout boy so mm -hmm. they're scratching that itch and they're a fun fucking band i i'm actually jealous i've never i've never seen them jealousy nate and i'm jealous of nate too that's a that's a pretty cool Band to see I know I need the spreadsheet because I need to figure out who they opened for. I have no idea who it was. Right. I we'll, find, the, we'll find the interwebs yeah. will yeah. tell you. Yeah. The you know what I haven't. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen yet. You know we get all those like uh, best summer ever tours from bands like Sugar Ray that kind of uh, bands of that elk. I'm not going to just single just them out, but them and like Everclear and whoever else. They go out on tour every summer and they play places like Hampton Beach that hold, you know, two 2,000 people. Why haven't those bands banded together and made a couple of supergroups and gone on tour like that? And then, like, been like a traveling road show where they play Sugar Ray songs and Everclear songs and, uh, yeah, Eve Six songs, you know, people like that. How has that not happened yet? Hoobastank. Like, we're, what are we doing? This is a missed opportunity. <laughs> they should totally have done this by now to, to gain <laughs> some relevance again, right? Well, who would front it? They'd all just take turns. It depends on the song. 
You could do you could do their songs, and then you could have new songs, and then you know trade frontmen. <laughs> have Have you guys heard of the band The Sound of Animals Fighting? No, <laughs> no, that's a great name though. Yeah, they're like an absolute punkish adjacent band, like uh, the type of band that would be on Absolute Punk or Chorus FM. I'm pretty sure like it was just a huge collective. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of that. It's like the '90s alt rock, kind of washed, kind of one hit wonder, <laughs> wondery. So you're you're telling me this happened already? No, I'm just oh. saying that like it, it reminded me of that. Like I'm trying to think if I'd have to look, but I think it's like dudes from RX Bandits and maybe okay. Finch. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, a bunch of bands, but something like that. Like this giant collective, just a bunch of dudes on stage. Yeah, yeah, just like 35 people out there. You get like four bassists, and they're all like trying to fight over who's in front. <laughs> That's be amazing. Hey, someone might be listening, might go run with that, and it might be a thing. I don't know what you'd even call it. Like, It could work, too. Who knows? Like, <laughs> I might go see that if that comes to the state theater. That'd be even just for the pure chaos of it. <laughs> Everclear 6? What would you call it? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't think those guys get along. Uh, neither do the Third Eye Blind guys and Eve Six. Pretty much anybody in Max don't get along. <laughs> you know, there is an iteration of this actually that takes used to take place in Los Angeles at the, I think it was the Whiskey. I can't remember where they would do something like that. It would just be random band members of all these bands, and they would just come up and play basically covers of each other's bands. I know Dave Navarro was a big staple of this band. I can't remember what it was called, but so. At least it was doable in that realm because it was live. I don't think there was any like uh, conflict of interest with label, you know, because you got to think if you're touring, that's revenue, right? So you have to, there's got to be a split there somewhere where whatever contract you're tied to. But that was, it was being done in, in, in Los Angeles for quite a while. I just can't remember what it was called as some band. Anyone that's listening, definitely hit us up and let us know if you were at those gigs because they actually, I remember they disbanded and might have been a reason for, for legal reasons. I mean, live, though, that shouldn't be an issue, right? Yeah, if it's live, I don't think it matters. Especially if it's a band name that's not... A, it's yeah. just like a generic band name that's... Which I know this band in particular, like, it was a random band name and they played covers of each other. So, like, Fred Durst would go on stage and they do a Limp Bizkit song and Dave Navarro was a staple guitarist that obviously played Jane's Addiction songs and... um, Anything off of One Hot Minute? Possibly. I mean, come on, yeah. let's go, Dave. <laughs> yeah. All right, Nate, you're in Maine now. No more Cali stories. Fuck that shit. <laughs> well, Nate, it does remind me of Hazen Street, which was a super group with Toby of H2O and Freddie and Hoya Madball and the re- and David from uh, Boxcar Racer. But it reminds me of them because Chad of NFG was in the band, wrote the album, but could not be listed on the on the album at all because of the MC, some something to do with the MCA oh, okay. deal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those damned record deals and their legal right? bullshit. Yeah, so the, the cheat code is playing live, and I and I remember who it was. The band name was called Camp Freddy, and they would play like every other Friday. Nice. And I remember... You remembered who it was, uh, or you looked it knows? up? <laughs> Might be a... Um, <laughs> no, I know. I'm just I'm letting everybody know how the sausage sleuth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Jamie. Well, not really, but I want to be. We we need one. Sella, what are you doing over there, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Camp Freddy. So that's what I was talking about. Look it up. Super interesting. Like they would just play gigs like every other Friday in Los Angeles, which is very typical LA. Like all these guys live in LA anyway. So yeah, they'd just show up, play songs from each other's bands for like three or four hours. Pretty cool. I never went, but I wanted to check it out. You should have gone, man. Nate goes, Ernest goes to Camp Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're off the rails. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I've never even heard it. Jeez, I've learned a shitload tonight. Yeah, you're right. Dave Navarro was in that band. Yeah. Mark McGrath. Well, Mark he was, McGrath was. Of course. Oh, man. But we love all of that stuff, and uh, we, we want to see more of these things, but maybe some of them can go away too, right? Like, when does this go wrong mm. for you guys? Like, just it's never <laughs> a good thing. Are you looking for like band name examples or well, yeah, or just or like just like themes or just reasons? Yeah, or, either yeah. way. Uh, honestly, I can't think of a band, or maybe I don't. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but any time where I'm like, why, why, mm-hmm. what would make yeah. you think that is a good idea? And, and hey, maybe people would think that about 
some of the super groups that worked, or maybe even I thought that and they proved me wrong. But sometimes the sum is not greater than the parts yeah. with some of these. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very pol- politically correct because there's so many bands, <laughs> band names. <laughs> hey, the industry's small, man. We're, we right? let's keep it positive, especially because yep. we've had some on here, which is I think a th- something I I got to bring up is without naming names, is a lot of these super groups, and it's kind of meshes into side project is those side projects and or super groups sometimes just sound like said band, right? So it's like, hey, like what's the point? Yeah. Like, yeah. are you just, you're, at this point you're just burning your actual core group and getting additional revenue on the side which is bullshit which maybe they're fighting with their bassist possibly but it goes to the point from the beginning of this episode which is it's taken away so if you're making a project that literally sounds like your core day job you know you're not doing anyone's service listener and and band members alike you're really just taking songs that would have been band blank and making band blank 2.0 and Maybe I guess the only benefit benefit in that case is you're playing smaller venues than you would have. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But it's also you're right. Like if you're gonna do it and just sound the same, what are we doing? Like why why waste the energy to do that? And we're not naming names, but just generally speaking, like if you're gonna put out similar music or the same sound, yeah, like it, it makes sense to like change it up a little bit, right? Like or put two different sounds together that haven't been together before that they're, they're still doing their things, but they're coming together for the first time. And that's kind of cool. But if you're just going to, you know, be a band that, or be your other band, but with different members, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So I'm not going to throw any band under the bus based on sound, but I will call out a super group band name that's just terrible oh, nice. Ooh, oh a bandy cap oh, yes shit. chicken foot oh, <laughs> chicken <laughs> so i actually read a little bit about how that came together and i guess they like jokily named themselves chicken foot as like a, a gag like internally yeah. Yeah. and then i think they were asked what their name was and they were like eh, fuck it chicken oh, foot. oh wow i mean if you're just like and we've heard this a million times with different bands if you're just like coming up with the first thing and living with it and then you become a thing you're you're stuck <laughs> you yeah. know like you your brand brand name recognition is there now you don't want to lose that like hell we're at 120 episodes of the potty slate podcast Do, are there days that i wish we weren't called that sometimes not because i don't like the name i love the way that it sounds but could we have done better did we know that we we're still going to be doing this two and a half years later no right. right here we are so that happens to bands too all the time and you come up with this name because it's funny in the moment and then 16 years later you're like hi we're so and so from wherever and you're like what the fuck are we still called this <laughs> yeah lip biscuit i mean are you buying a chicken foot t-shirt nate no definitely not unfortunately van halen yes chili based peppers, on yes. name or sound I haven't listened to him enough to to give him that proper yeah, assessment. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, band like name alone. Like I'm going the older I get, the plainer t-shirt I get. Like one logo, very Frank Maddox. We haven't given given him a plug in a while. The better. So <laughs> no, we haven't. You're right. <laughs> drink. <laughs> I know, right? That used to be one we used to drink about. Yeah. Yeah. It was like every uh, episode. That's almost a hundred episodes ago, just just FYI. <laughs> It's like 10 years ago. It feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? That was that was early pandemic. So I got a question here, which I kind of alluded to earlier, which is what is the difference between supergroup and side project? I feel like there's some gray area there. That is a good question. I think, well, obviously the gray area sometimes with side project is only one person is from a band that... Uh, anybody knows so they're not technically a super group but uh in the cases where maybe they're they're pulling people that are session musicians or something like that i think yeah i think it's just kind of semantical you're going to get side project more with uh other members and maybe one person from a different group yeah like is there i feel like for a super group you need three like brand name dudes or gals yep okay that makes sense speaking of gals twan boy genius Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. That's a that's a cool uh, female, all female supergroup. I haven't spent as much time as I probably should have with them. I haven't either, but I love the three of them on their own. So, like, 
worth worth checking out. And uh, I mean, I'm a Julian Baker fanboy from from the start. The sprained ankle, such a good record, and she continues to put out great music. And uh, Phoebe, I've gotten into Phoebe more over the last couple of years. So, yeah, missed opportunity at Thompson's recently. That right, sold out so fast though. Sold out so fast. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's one to look back on. And be like, ah, shit. Agreed. Show regret. Oh, Ooh, we haven't done that in a while either. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just it's kind of semantical, Nate. It, it'd be more like you've got to have a couple of people from another group to make it a a super group. Otherwise, it gets kind of labeled a side project. Yeah, at least at least two, right? Because if it's one with a bunch of I don't I don't want to say no names, but lesser known names, that's in Angels and Airwaves or. If it's just at least two, let's call it Broken Bells, you have Danger Mouse and uh, Singer from the Shins, that basically is officially a supergroup because it's two big names. Yeah, that's uh, I actually can see that. Yep, that makes sense. So maybe it depends on the stature of the artist, but uh, hey, let us know what you think. We're not the experts. You, the listeners, are the uh, supergroup experts. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there are some supergroups that we didn't talk about that we should and we should listen to that maybe you love hit us up hit us up on the socials at potty slave twitter instagram tiktok the back of the phone book anywhere you can find us we'll be there that's that's where at potty slave lives and uh, email us potty podcast at gmail.com what else do we have guys i can't even remember we have the website go to the potty slave.com for all things nerdery tumblr myspace yeah we're- oh facebook live journal yeah facebook Live journal, yeah, yeah. If this pod was fifteen to twenty years ago, we would yeah. have a live journal. Oh my god, oh, totally, Easy. yeah, yeah. I wish we had a Tumblr. I would say two out of the three of this this uh, this post had one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad that doesn't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we could dig it. Up. Oh shit, you're right. Uh, but yeah, no, hit us up. I mean, we we love doing this. We've got big things in the works behind the scenes. Hoping for an interview for y'all next week uh if things pan out we'll have an interview for you if not you're gonna have to listen to us three again and we're gonna do one in person we haven't done one in person in almost a year we'll do that again here in the next couple of weeks so that'll be fun and man i just i just love that we get to do this every week yeah geek out every week in person's gonna be great man it's it's uh it's it's proof that the pandemic's coming to an end and it's also proof that we're we're still alive and breathing so it's gonna continue it's gonna be amazing yeah, OG apps, interviews, big projects. It's uh, a lot going on behind the scenes. We got people going cross country. We got jobs. We got families. We got possibly some big names in the work. So you just have to keep an eye on everything that Tone just uh, mentioned, all those platforms. That's the first place you're going to find it. And I think with that, are we done? Yeah, yep. I think we're done. Yep. We're done. What do we say when we're done, Nate? Uh, I think we say everyone knows the rules. One spin. Everyone knows the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Peace, potheads. Peace. We say music is our niche. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers.